Oh, well, I need see, to make a see, comment. Yeah. Uh, see, see, Jeremiah, you give him the keys to the kingdom and it turns around that the machine <laughs> thinks that he's the one authorized to have the key, you know, so go ahead, it's Russell. Done that before, but... <laughs> go ahead, Russell. <laughs> well, good evening, we don't hey, want good to evening, panic. Rich. Good evening, Rich. We don't want to be in the way or, or stop anybody that's called to go with the Lord. Just go full steam ahead, Matt. But uh, there are some of us that do things a different way. And our prayer has always been go, get it, do it, preach it. And this way here has worked for us. So um, I don't know his whole story, but I do know the facts. I was there the night we we talked about it. And so I do know what was desired. Sure. Or what I thought was desired. Hey. That's all. Yeah. Was, yeah. Well, and and that's just it. So that's that's what we've continued to do. And <clears throat> and there's times that you know you you know you you question your own you know is is it is it something that you know that individually that you've you've done or sp- spoken or otherwise and so you know if you don't have personal reflection and things like that then then i'm i'm not sure that you have the humanity necessary to to um to also walk that walk with god because uh to me you know it's just what we do we we are always introspective in terms of our own selves if we're really true and not arrogant about who we think we are or, or you know the the righteousness that we want to profess and so it's uh, it's just another one of those things and and then as we go along in life and and we witness the the you know the frailty of it those that we love and share and know around us and uh, it makes us even more uh, introspective of of what it is that we, you know, truly believe and what we want to hold on to in the Lord. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, but I guess this things that were kind of working on me, I had been thinking about should we should we do something uh, in terms of of uh, you know perhaps a biblical study out of one of the the prophets or something along that line. And I don't know necessarily which is the way to go. So I've just been kind of thinking about that. And over the last week, I haven't been urgently, um, you know, led, if you will, in any particular direction. But one thing that I have considered over the past several months is, is uh, the the book of Isaiah and and I guess all the prophets because when you think about our problems and our issues within our you know professing Christian community if you will is that there really seems to be a lack of true understanding of what these prophets recorded for us what Yahweh has provided us in their records and to that extent um i I felt really moved you know months and months ago when we took on you know hosea and uh, as we've done israel judah and jew series and as we've done many of the other series here just in the last you know three four five months and coupled with an occasional email I really find ourselves in this position where we don't have 
a strong understanding of not only biblical Israel's identity, even for those of us who profess an understanding of that biblical Israel identity, we don't really have a lot of the foundational pieces, I think, uh, that are in these prophets. Um, we probably know them individually in, in our heart and in our head in certain various ways. But when we're trying to, you know, relay this information to people that we know, friends, family, associates, and otherwise, we know how per, how perplexing it's been for us in terms of trying to break down the the old walls of theology, the old theological walls that that are incorrect and just simply wrong. And from that standpoint, it becomes very difficult. And so we hence, I think, tend to, you know, retreat, if you will, withdraw and and essentially succumb to the to the chided remark well what difference does it make or what does it matter you know and i don't think that we should be retreating back i think it's all the more reason that we need to be more firmly grounded to be able to come back with retorts that might elevate their curiosity or elevate their consideration that maybe it is a worthwhile thing to contemplate instead of just retorting what difference does it matter now whether it's all for naught or anything else i have no idea you know we don't know because you know god is going to call those whom he will to come to the understandings and therefore um, be ambassadors for him to to carry that information on. <clears throat> I know that the modern church world and Christianity in general basically feels like, well, <clears throat> you know, I know that Jesus came to save sinners and that's all I need to know. You know, I've even had somebody at the prior ministry say, you know, I know Jesus and him and nothing else matters. And words to that effect um but i always saw pastor peters as an individual who really was trying to help us have a better understanding of of what it was that he shared and conveyed that drew so many of us uh deeper into the gospel and deeper into the word was this this idea and understanding um of this marriage and covenant relationship that God had with his people. And from there, uh, I would say that uh, the vast majority of us who began to understand this and were encouraged by it and gravitated to that, that message with such, you know, sincerity and desire to search more. um, That was the key. And, I find that it's the same thing today. I'm going to just give you an example of something that has just, uh, you know, Pastor Peter said, you know, you can learn a lot from your enemy. And I've given you guys links from time to time and told you where I've read articles from and so forth. And there's this one called the Jerusalem Post that I periodically go into and and take a look at what's, what's being written. Well, in the Jerusalem Post, um, just, you know, a little more than a week ago, uh, a individual published a article entitled The Lost Tribes of Israel. Who are their descendants today? Now, boy, that really catches your attention, doesn't it, you guys? <laughs> yeah, come on, uh, you know. Yeah, coming out of the Jerusalem Post, you know, it's a, it's a, it's clearly a, a, and the article, you know, goes on. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read you some excerpts from it, and and my thought regarding this was dovetailed along an email that I got, which is, you know, basically asking 
you guys remember the email I, I brought out in the fellowship a few weeks ago and this this lack of understanding by what we would say are you know good well-meaning professing Christians and so when you have these emails and you're trying to figure out a way to guide them but not cast your pearls before swine because you really don't know especially when they're vague and especially when you know certain parts of the email have those familiar phrases that that you know are guided by you know some other source besides somebody really truly seeking to understand or at least they are utilizing the same terminology that the the enemies of Christ use if you will and so that's that's you know inspired me to you know reassess and i know we don't want to listen to it anymore at sometimes as we think you know we've we've heard enough we know who we are we don't you know we don't need this anymore and and i know there's even been people that have joined these fellowships that have turned away and said well i just want to hear about the word but um when one of the things that has driven me over you know three decades basically as a as an apostle um of christ and certainly under the tutelage in a great extent of pastor peters one of the things that's driven me is that i'll read things so i read articles just the way any of you guys do i read this i read that and things of that nature and then i'll sit down with the word and i'll read the word and you're looking essentially or expecting that the spirit is going to you know drive your thoughts if you will you're going to begin to dream in the spirit and it will direct you into things and so that has largely been the way much of the things that i've brought in these fellowships has been derived is just by that simple little process and this is another one of those articles and so i can see right here in it you when you hear that title the first thing that that you know that caused my heart to flutter if you will is that oh my here we go again we're going to be experiencing another situation where the enemy is going to seek to muddy the water um uh throw a poison pill you know whatever metaphor you want to have and that to me is is the thing that that begins to inspire me once again that i've got to help people understand because when the scripture says be not deceived he does not want you to be deceived and there's a reason that we should not be deceived but in these types of articles you know the first thing that that really jumped out at me was was this particular statement in the article what makes someone lost that is the first question to explore And the article says three types of lost Jews are descendants of biblical tribes, those who converted. I'm just going to pull this up instead of reading that thought from my notes because I can see that it was a little bit disjointed. What makes someone lost? That's the first question to explore. It appears there are three types of lost Jews those claiming to be descendants of biblical tribes, those who converted decades or centuries ago, and those who have been forced to hide their Judaism during, due to fears of persecution. So right there, I found that everything that, that has been delivered in these last several fellowships is very appropriate to this statement. Now, now again, you right now have in the world those that are going to go out here and seek to try to encourage people that this article is an article about seeking lost tribes of israel 
And then the first question to explore, it says, it appears, it appears. Where does it appear? Where does it appear that there are three types of lost Jews? Where is that in the scripture? You see, to just write an article and say things is the first problem. And that's a problem for a lot of Christians. You can write study materials and give them to professing Christians in their churches and tell them to study it. And they can even put statements in those study notes and so forth that are statements just like this that have no biblical foundation whatsoever. It appears there are three types of lost Jews, those claiming to be descendants of biblical tribes, those who converted decades or centuries ago, and those who have been forced to hide their Judaism due to fears of persecution. So let's just go over those three. Those claiming to be descendants of biblical tribes. Well, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Yeah. Because to me, that would be the key question to actually explore and seek an answer for the descendants of biblical tribes. And then again, the terminology, three types of lost Jews. Now we all know we've done our series of fellowships, Israel, Judah, and Jew. And we would like all of our Christian brothers and sisters to understand those and so forth and to have those. And that's why I've said before too, you know, the purpose of the archives and so forth, even doing that to me in my mind, would have something to give to somebody who was in need or questioning or concerned or, you know, uh, or perhaps it was not any of those, but that you wanted, you know, to, to have know these truths. And so that's the purpose of it. And then he goes on to write those who converted decades or centuries ago, again, right into the last several weeks of what we've been discussing. Who converted decades ago? See, that's a very important statement, one that should not be lightly brushed over. And those who have been forced to hide their Judaism due to fears of persecution. So that is kind of where the impetus for thinking some of the thoughts that I had, and I knew that it would be you know, a lot of repeat, but the thought occurred to me that perhaps what's really not a repeat for us, and I don't know what to title the fellowship, but I, I, I got to thinking maybe we should refer to it as Gentile does not mean non-Jew or, um, Maybe it should be titled, Don't Be Fooled by the We Were Never Lost documentary. Because that's what it's titling itself. It's titling itself. Uh, there's a documentary I'm going to read here in the article for you. Um, for millennial, the idea of lost tribes of Israel has been a topic of intrigue for believers and non-believers. There is certainly no debate that, the follow, that following the destruction of the first temple, most of the 12 tribes have been scattered across the globe. From the words of Israel's prophets to the tales of Sambushan River to this day, the question remains, where did they go? Now, this is always key in the way people write articles. This clearly is written in the first paragraph so as to really have people thinking that this is going to go somewhere. This, you know, and most of the 12 tribes, again, we would look at that and say, well, hey, okay, they're acknowledging most of the 12 tribes have been scattered across the globe. So um, Israel Jewish rights activist Rudy Rockman has been at the forefront of Israel, Israel activism for much of the past decade. After founding the Israeli Israel Student Group on campus at Columbia University in New York City, 
As Rudy progressed throughout the years, his views and priorities evolved for how to best approach empowering the Jewish people. From the get-go, and more recently, Rockman has faced criticism from a small but loud contingent on the far right and the far left, those on the far right called far right call Rudy a Palestinian apologist or a leftist threat, while those on the far right say he is a right-wing extremist and a messianic. So they spoke with him regarding his latest trip for his, to Africa regarding his upcoming documentary, We Were Never Lost. We Were Never Lost. <clears throat> and so therein begins the basis and the premise for the rest of the article. And again, how can I let people who need to know this truth and information be deceived by another deceiver. And so it's like there's no shortage of deceptions and deceivers to deceive our people. It's truly a grave error to make the word Gentile apply intentionally to mean exclusively non-Israelite. Some are not going to catch that right away. I'm going to repeat it. It's a grave error to make the word Gentile apply intentionally to mean exclusively non-Israelite. To do so impairs one's ability to understand in part, the mystery that's hid from the ages and from generations. This has actually been done and is being done intentionally. And the lie finds itself in Judaism. Quoting from Judaic Cyclopedia, Desig, quote, designating a people not Jewish commonly applied to non-Jews. Gentile word applies to the late Hebrew word goy, synonym of knockery, signifying stranger, non-Jew. So this is what it refers to as Gentile, designating a people not Jewish, commonly applied to non-Jews, Gentile word applies to the late Hebrew word goy, synonymous or a synonym or knockery, which we've gone over in the past, signifying stranger, non-Jew. And so there you have it. And so now this guy is out here getting ready to create a documentary and he's going to go all around the world telling you about these lost tribes. Some of them are going to be from actual, well, I doubt that that is, that they're going to be from the 12 tribes, even though that's the, go ahead. Let me read the online etymology right quick. First sentence, All right. Gentile, one who is not a Jew. All right. Then you see 1400 and earlier than 1400, one who is not a Christian, pagan. Then you see from late Latin noun use of Latin gentilis of the same family or clan of or belonging to a Roman's gens. From gens, we get gentis, race, clan. Jenny, give, give birth, beget, with derivatives referring to procreation and family, familia, familial, and tribal groups. Compare this word to gentle. So there you have it. There's a lot more, but yeah. 
Right. Yeah. There's there's a the, yeah. There's the the etymology of a word. You know, just words can have a whole history in and of themselves about how they do, evolved mm -hmm. and changed with time, or came to have different meanings and so forth. And well, who would um, off of that certainly. I'm sorry, say again. Who would profit off uh, twitching that a little bit? And then all of a sudden, a rabbi, well, that's anybody that's not a Jew, the Gentile. You know, you see, Ex and they're exactly. And so they very easily can change the meanings of words. But, sorry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no problem at all. In fact, um, that that's always good to have that. That uh, we went over those words in many of the other messages, and so I wasn't going to do that particularly here. But let's just flip over to Ephesians quick, and we got a little bit of a late start, and so this one is uh, kind of taking a little bit here to develop. But let's go ahead and flip to Ephesians real quick, and chapter three is where i'd like to turn to and this is paul's epistle to the ephesians or to those at ephesus um three one for this cause i paul the prisoner of jesus christ for you gentiles if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of god which has given me to you ward how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as i wrote afore in few words whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So there's the usage of the word in a new testament scripture um flip over to colossians and we can get it there as well in colossians chapter one and let's begin with verse 25 whereof i made a minister according to the dispensation of god which is given to you for the full to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we have two things going on here, mystery and Gentiles. And First Timothy chapter three is another area here. And so essentially wouldn't we want to know a little bit more about this mystery and this mystery specifically of the gentiles and this appellation now i know i've given this this word and and i get rebuked for my my big words but it's not a big word that i'm trying to use what i'm trying to get us to recognize is its usage and its context an appellation, an appellation literally is is a name or uh, something that you're attributing upon upon something. So, for example, if people are attributing upon Gentiles a a a designation, if you will, that's what an appellation is, a p p e l a t i o n. So, in order for us to make this appellation upon the term Gentile as meaning all non-Jews, it literally eviscerates the mystery that Paul is so early, earnestly desiring them at Colossae and Ephesus and so forth to understand, even for Timothy, and as I mentioned in the scripture in Timothy. To whom would God make known what is the riches of this glory of this mystery? It would seem to me that if all we're saying that this mystery entails is simply that non-Jews are Gentiles, 
that's not very much of a mystery. And by that standard, then, what, dear Christian, is mysterious about the theology which promotes that the Messiah came for Jews? And so when the Jews received him not, the Messiah just simply took his message to the knockery, the strangers, or the non-Jews. That's really not much of a mystery, is it? No. Number 3466 is the word mystery. It's musterion. A mystery or secret of which initiation is necessary. Not something unknowable, rather, it is what can only be known through the revelation, excuse me, through revelation, because God reveals it. Rather, it is what can only be known through revelation, because God reveals it. So, if there's a mystery of the Gentiles and it requires initiation necessary because it's not necessarily knowable, but it has to be revealed because God wills it to be revealed. I would want to know about that mystery. And so I think what I'm trying to say is that when we get these retorts from time to time, like what does it matter and things like that, you know, we've been quick to just go, well, okay, I guess that doesn't matter to you. But at the same time, we probably ought to look at it that we should be a little more insistent because we're called to be revelators, if you will. We're called to be uh, disciples disseminating the gospel, the good news of this word of God and what it was that is this mystery. And so I began to consider that as I was looking at this, looking at this article that's designed to be deceptive, and um, will, in fact, be deceptive without reading any more of the article. It's just an introductory article about what is going to be happening. But, again, the title is probably the most important, and that is, Don't Be Fooled by We Were Never Lost documentary. Because that right there in itself is a lie. Now, some might say, well, wait a minute, Doug. You're saying that the Israelites are not really lost. Well, yes, I am saying they were never really lost. And so all the more power to us to be able to say to people why They should know this mystery. Colossians 2, chapter, uh, verse, chapter 2, verses, verse 14. Paul says again to those at Colossae, he says that you being dead, let me start at 13, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven all trespasses, you forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. It makes no sense. Non-Israelites had no handwritten ordinances which were against Paul and were necessary to be blotted out. So it makes no sense for Paul to say that. 
it only makes sense when understanding that he's speaking not to non-Israelites, only, however, those who were no longer known as Israelites. Because they were the only ones that had ordinances which were against them. The ordinances were against them because they were compelled to comply according to the covenant. And in their failure to comply, it breached the covenant. It breached the agreement. The marriage was null and void. And so it makes no sense for Paul, an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, to make such a statement. To have it apply or the appellation to be, Paul is speaking to non Jews in the term and the understanding that it's used today. There would be no reason to have revealed to us a mystery. You just simply say, you know, and they do use that. Well, he came for his own, but he they received him not, and so he turned to the Gentiles. Well, that still is not a mystery. So there's something missing in that understanding. And in fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 2, um, 7, that he was going to speak to them. I should probably turn over there. I just made a note of that. And I don't want to botch it. Um, but he made an, uh, a point of saying to them that First um, Corinthians chapter two. Uh, okay, howbeit we speak wisdom. I'm at six two six. Howbeit we speak of wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that comes to naught. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So in essence, what he's saying is that those in, in Corinth had no wisdom, and they had no knowledge or understanding of a mystery. But he was going to reveal a mystery, the revelation of Yahweh, and speak the wisdom of a mystery. And that's what kind of started making me think, you know, we have to do this. We have to speak the wisdom of this mystery and not be silent about the wisdom of this ministry because the wisdom of this ministry is what puts this deception to bed doesn't mean it isn't going to happen doesn't mean they aren't going to try but it really is what gives us the tools that actually puts it to rest How does Yahweh actually reveal? He reveals by his word and his spirit. So how can the professed Christian remotely hope to find revelation, revealing of a mystery, if one will not diligently seek it in his word, but rather defers to another in hopes that the fullness of this glory and the manifestation of this spirit will just reveal it. So if the prophets are involved with revealing a mystery and the disciples were involved in revealing a mystery, most certainly they are what Yahweh through the prophets it it is what they're going to reveal it, they're 
that's the only way that you can find it. You know, I didn't say that very good because I found myself scratching my own head. But if as prophets and disciples, they were involved with revealing the mysteries of God. It seems important that we have to understand what through those prophets Yahweh has revealed. And if these prophets reveal something different than what one's been taught and previously believed, what should you believe? The prophets and the disciples or another man? So if men have instructed, yeah, if men have instructed that Gentile means non-Israelites, won't that alter an understanding of a mystery? Won't that in some way impede divine revelation? Mm-hmm. And so if one's honest with the scriptures, the Old Testament term that was referred to even in the article here, um, or rather the site out of the Encyclopedia Judaica regarding the term Gentile, it derives from an Old Testament term, which was goy. So anywhere back in in the Old Testament where you see the word nation, uh, it was goy, translated goy or goyim, if it was uh, in reference to nations instead of a nation. But now when you think about it as it pertains to Abraham's Genesis 17 covenantal relationship with Yahweh, Abraham is a goy. So if those calling themselves Jews today are of Abraham, as they claim, why aren't they called the chosen goy of God? And not Jews. But rather, they call you the goy. That should tell us something. At Genesis uh, seventeen nineteen, also, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said it does. It 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 certainly magnifies and amplifies their eager usurpation of the true covenant. It it sure does, and their eager usurpation of the terminology. Uh-huh. So here at Genesis chapter 17, 19, where the promise of Abraham was to Isaac, uh, from Abraham to Isaac, and not which he was, that was of the flesh, meaning of Ishmael, the one who was of the flesh, but the one that was of the promise, the promise that Abraham would have a son. Um, same thing. All of these areas where we see the term nation in those in those verses, Abraham was promised to be a multitude of nations. Isaac was going to be the called seed. Ishmael was going to be a great nation, a great goy. So even Ishmael is a goy. Abraham is a goy. Isaac's a goy. Um, <laughs> you want us to get firebombed? I said, do you want us to get firebombed by one of those balloons? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh so so it kind of puts some new perspective back in it for us in terms of you know getting our own stinking thinking corrected at times, you know, and how we can turn these things around and the way we really should be turning them around so as to bring it back upon their heads. And so it, it, those were just some of the thoughts that I was having regarding all this as I as I read the article and just kind of, you know, again, like I say, I make some notes and and then I'll start reading and see, you know, where the spirit leads me and so forth. And, um, you know, even as I talked about in the scriptures there in Colossae, where uh, Paul is referring to them as or Corinthians not having uh, wisdom and understanding. That's the same thing that he told the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter four. Moses spoke to the Israelites saying that that basically they didn't have wisdom.
wisdom or understanding apart from doing and keeping the statutes and judgments of God. In other words, the statutes and judgments of God were their wisdom. And other nations, other Goy nations, uh, would say, surely this great nation, this great Goy, is a wise and understanding people. Now, from the word Israel in Smith's Bible Dictionary, this is what it says. Israel, because remember, Isaac's name was changed to Israel. So these are some recaps for us, I know. But in the Smith's Bible Dictionary, it says the prince that prevails with God. Now, there's I've seen several different renditions of what Israel means. Prevails with God, wrestles with God. Um, anyhow, here's another one. Jacinius interprets Israel as being soldier of God. Um, but here's the definitions of Israel from Smith's Bible Dictionary. The first one I just gave you, the prince that prevails with God and Jacinius's uh, reference to the soldier of God. Now, definition two, the national name of 12 tribes collectively. And third, used in a narrow sense, excluding Judah. And let me recap that. Used in a narrow sense, excluding Judah. 1 Samuel 11, 8, 2 Samuel 20, uh, 1, and 1 Kings 12, 16. Uh, the fourth definition, after the Babylonian captivity, this name was resumed upon those returning and also to denote lay people distinguished from priests. So what he's saying in the definition four is that after the Babylonian captivity, when they returned, they took this name Israel upon them. And that it also denoted the difference between a lay people uh, from the priesthood. So, one of the main reasons that Paul used the word, which was translated Gentile, was that Paul was a Jew. Let me characterize that properly. He was a Judahite, a Benjamite of the house of Judah, a Pharisee. And it was to denote those who were not Jews. It was actually a term of contempt. Again, Smith's Bible Dictionary, Gentiles. Quote, all the people who were not Jews were so called by them being aliens from the worship, rights, and privileges of Israel. The word was used contemptuously of them. In the New Testament, it is used as equivalent to the Greek. This use of the word seems to have arisen from the almost universal adoption of the Greek languages. Now, what word are we talking about? We're talking about the word Gentiles. So, in other words, all the people who were not Judahites were so called by them. Gentiles, being aliens from the worship, the rights, and the privileges of Israel. Well, this is true, because Judah had not been divorced, but Israel had. And so, therefore, the word was used contemptuously of those who were not Judahites translated in many of our Bibles as Jew. And it was used as an equivalent in the Greek because basically there was a universal adoption of the Greek language. So why is this important? It's important because it's not exclusively all whom are non-Jews, rather a collective or a lazy adaption by universal language usage. A Gentile or ethnos in the Greek doesn't always apply to all peoples in every instance, and it is not the way Paul used it with his epistles, but rather targeted specifically 
his target, non-Judahite Israelites of Greek, Rome, and any other nation state or geographical locale. And most professing Christians are not aware that the word ethnos translated Gentiles in a lot of our biblical transcripts, they don't know that they're translated as nation referring to non-Israelites such as Acts 7.45. Acts 17.26 translates the word ethnos or nation as a multitude of peoples. Ethnos in 1 Corinthians 12.2 is translated Gentiles in reference to heathens. Ethnos is translated in Luke chapter 7 as nations meaning the house of Judah's descendants. The word ethnos is translated in Romans chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, as Gentiles, meaning descendants of the house of Israel. Now, we have just witnessed five different usages of the word ethnos used differently to describe different things, but never used to describe one individually. So the next time you ha have somebody say, well, I'm a Gentile, brother, you say, well, it's impossible for you to be a Gentile because nowhere in the scripture does that word apply to an individual. It only applies to groups with a common genealogy or nationality or a social connection. So we have to be asking ourselves, has one study resulted in an understanding of these passages and the word that's used in them? Because if not, we must be asking why the ecclesiastical leaders have consistently remained vigilant in teaching them that the word simply means non-Jew. If the tribes went out of existence, well, or, or disappeared, as the church world continues to tell most professing Christians, then the prophecies of the prophets are largely left unfulfilled and would indeed require future fulfillment. Perhaps this is why they want you to believe that all of these will be future fulfilled. And since this is not the case as the biblical record attests and records, it matters. And what happened to these people, or at the very least, what the prophecies of the prophets recorded concerning them is a matter of theological interest and concern. We are already at the top of the hour. Wow. Well, for some homework, I guess, go to chapter 37 in Ezekiel and chapter to 39, maybe even, uh, and read about the two sticks that were going to be put back together. There's a prophecy. Has that prophecy been fulfilled or has it not been fulfilled? In the series that we did, Hosea, the prophet to the greatest love story of the ages. We clearly identified the necessity of understanding who these people were in order to understand the prophecy. 
one simply cannot insinuate a theology that excludes the ten tribes or the ten tribe northern house of Israel, which is what the church world has done, just excluded them. The theology just excludes them. They went out of existence. They're no longer around. They were amalgamated into other nations. They're lost forever. God divorced them, even if they understand that. But they simply do not seem to recognize and understand that there was going to be this joining together, which occurs in the biblical record over and over again by the prophets. And it's made to and about Israelites, not non-Israelites, not Gentiles, meaning non-Jews. Not universally, which the church world has done. They're just out of existence. So universally, God turned to the Gentiles. Micah chapter, well, prophet Micah, the prophet Hosea, even John in his own uh, record of him, which I love to go to Luke chapter one and verses 68 to 77. You know, we know that he, the scripture says that his own received him not, but it's not at all implying that greater Israel did not receive him. Or theology that says that Israel rejected him. Yes, they were in violation of the covenant. Yes, they were divorced. But you can't bring these two sticks back together again, as the prophets declare, if you're going to deny that they're in existence. And so you have to ask the question, seeking revelation, seeking the revealing from the scriptures, where in the biblical record was it recorded that these prophecies and the joining together of Hosea, of Ezekiel, was to join non-Israelites to Israel? To join non-Israelites to Israel? It matters. It matters. Romans chapter 9, just quickly here, and I'll, I'll summarize. But if you're in Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 2, all of what Paul is conveying here in Romans It's erroneously interpreted as just simply that these are Gentiles, non-Jews. Even though the word Jew referred to in those passages of those particular epistles are being used as synonymous with all biblical Jacob Israel. So then the Gentiles apply to everyone else or non-Jews, you can see what happens. When we share these things and get this retort, well, what does it matter? The answer just simply has to be, it matters. It's a matter of theological doctrine. And that is important. They certainly believe that it's important that they, as Gentiles, were, you know, grafted in, as they might say, or that as Gentiles, you know, God came and, and provided them some salvation. You, you really have to not actually be interested in revealed mystery. If one's a theological foundation for the identities of these passages is in error, there's really no need to care. And I think this is the root of the issue. 
the word Jew is never used in Scripture as an appellation for the 12 tribes of Israel. Never. In other words, the word Jew as a name, a title, or a designation is never used in Scripture for the 12 tribes of Israel. And to conclude so is not scriptural. And that's exactly what this guy does in this article is make the implication by saying um, well, the idea of the lost tribes of Israel has been a topic of intrigue for believers and non-believers alike. There's certainly no debate that following the destruction of the first temple, most of the 12 tribes had been scattered across the globe. From the words of Israel prophets to the tales of the Sambatian River, to this day, the question remains, where did they go? Well, that's anybody's best guess until today. There's a group of people looking to uncover the truth behind the lost tribes in order to determine where they went and to integrate them back into the Jewish people. What makes someone lost? That is the first question to explore. It appears there are three types of lost Jews. Those claiming to be descendants of biblical tribes, those who converted decades or centuries ago, I can tell you right now that being a descendant of biblical tribe of Israel, the tribe of Dan, namely, I am not one of the three types of lost Jews. But it's revealing to me those who converted decades or centuries ago. Isn't that interesting? Where in the scripture do we learn of anybody converting to one of the biblical descendants of the 12 tribes? And this is the kind of rubbish that, you know, is going out there. And the goyim, you know, read in the clergy because they're already twisted in their understanding. So again, as I say, I'm not going to go into any more on this for another message or anything, but read Romans chapter 9, Romans 11, you know, and once again, reacclimate yourselves with those things. Read Ezekiel 37, the two sticks being brought together, Hosea, certainly all the prophecies out of Isaiah. So. Um, and this is the task that we're strapped with and that we're saddled with is constantly having to undo the lies and I know it gets frustrated and I know it gets fatiguing and tiring but Paul said you know he gloried in the fact that he could do that every day and that he could pray for them that they were not easily moved and that they would not be easily moved that they were steadfast in the spirit and steadfast in the in the faith and so this is what we're doing in essence is exhorting one another to reacclimate ourselves to these truths continually and to better ourselves in our understanding of of why it's important and not to be defeated because someone says that and there was something that i actually did not I'm not sure that I ever pointed out in that Hosea series, but in Hosea 1.7, um, there's a reference to, um, I just made a note of this, and I, I didn't fully develop my thought on that, but I think what I was going to on there was that there's a reference to Judah being saved, and I'd have to go back to it, but if Judah was going to be saved, then this idea that the Jews, those calling themselves Jews today, being God's chosen people, and are not saved, if they were truly Jews or Judahites, that would also fly in the face of that prophecy. And I'm not sure that I ever caught that or really brought that out. And it was just another thing as I was looking around through these passages that you know, there again, there's another evidence that those calling themselves Jews today 
cannot be those Jews of the a biblical record, which goes to the last two fellowships that we had, wherein I tried to reveal more understanding to us about how the fact is that there were those who were converted decades and centuries later, just as this article alludes to. Well, just because they were circumcised did not make them of Israel. And that's why Paul had so much discussion about that aspect as well. He was trying to reveal the mystery that those claiming to be Jews were not. And their circumcision meant nothing. And it's just so powerful of a revealing of a message of a mystery to us. And to have it be just brushed aside, we have to do better. And I believe in doing better, we win in the end because the truth always prevails and it will expose the wicked for who they are as we were told they say they are jews but are not and do lie but are as the synagogue of adversaries the diabolos so don't be defeated don't be discouraged be encouraged and continue in the word that you are ready to share that mystery and be proud of that mystery and that your intentions are to reveal that to others and i have no doubt the crown of glory that you shall receive so be encouraged and I know it's getting late, so I will get this wrapped up here and just say to everybody, thanks for joining, and I will say good night and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to share this mystery. It may not have been the best ability of my ability to share it father i just pray that you'll bring it to those that want to hear it and the manner in which it should be received and that your spirit moves in them and their eyes are open to that mystery a few more pieces of understanding a few more tidbits to make them think about the things they've considered in their theological walk things that they've been told that are just not so. So, Father, we ask for your blessing upon this wherever it may go, to the benefit and to the glory of your kingdom and your people. We ask it, we seek it, we count on it, we trust in it. Amen. Good night, all. Amen.